0: are in week three of our series, I saw it coming. And the idea behind the series is that life is unpredictably predictable and predictably unpredictable or maybe the other way around one way or another. That's the idea of this series. And so we are going through the story of David looking at the story of David as a pattern for what to do and what not to do in the ups and downs of life. Because we can't control what's coming, but we can prepare ourselves for whatever is coming. So far, Pastor Andrew has shared a message about expecting to be called and anointed, and also another on expecting to face and fight your giants. And my message today is called expect to be hidden and tested, which arguably is a bit of a tougher sell. So thanks for that. (laughs) I think it sounds like a wonderful thing to have been anointed king, right? But for David, there was one problem, a big problem, and that problem was that there was already a king, King Saul, and he wasn't even a little bit dead. So he had someone else who was very much in the role that he had been called and anointed for. So as we know, there's a set order to how someone typically would become a king. So we have a monarch. When that monarch dies, then that monarch's heir would rise up and take the throne. That's kind of the natural order to how someone would become a king. And we recently saw this when Queen Elizabeth passed away in September, that her heir, Prince Charles, became the next king of England. Now, alternatively, there is another way to become king. And in the time of Saul and David, this way was not uncommon. It would happen quite a bit in the ancient Near East. So this way was to overthrow the ruling monarch and to kill them. Kill them and take their throne. And when someone would do this, they would also typically kill all of the all of that monarch's heirs, because they didn't want to leave anyone from that royal family left to be able to rise up and reclaim the throne. So these are kind of the two ways that were typical for someone to become a king. But God ordained a specific pattern for the people of Israel when it came to kings. In Deuteronomy 17, when we see that God gave Israel the laws for kings in Israel— He told them that for Israel, the kings would be of his choosing. There's a way that the world did things, but God determined that amongst his people, in his kingdom, that things needed to be done his way. God's plans must be accomplished God's way. So we're picking up the story of David in 1 Samuel 24. And when we find David in in this chapter, he has already been anointed king. He's already faced and defeated Goliath. But it's before he was actually made king. And at this time, he is hiding in the back of a cave on the run from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And Saul was trying to kill David because he was jealous of David. David had been serving in Saul's army, and God's favor was clearly upon him. He had great success in what he was doing because the favor of God was resting on him. And so because of this success, the people of Israel had taken to singing this little song, which infuriated Saul. They would sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it enraged Saul to hear the people singing this because they were giving David, a member of his army, more honor than him, the king. And he could see the favor of God on David's life and also was very aware that the favor of God had been removed from his own life. And so this this tension between him and David, David being honored and him being dishonored, drove him to absolute madness. That's where we're picking up with our scripture today. 1 Samuel 24, 1-7 After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he told David, oh, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut a piece off the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows that I shouldn't have done that to my lord the king. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and didn't let them kill Saul. I have with me one of the baker's most important pieces of equipment in the kitchen. The humble toothpick. With a toothpick, we test to see if what we are baking is ready. So, a recipe will tell you how long to bake something, at what temperature you should bake something, but this is an estimate. It's a suggestion, not a rule because there are a lot of variables when it comes to baking. The calibration of ovens are all a little bit different. Uh, Things like humidity and altitude can affect how a recipe is going to perform. So we don't just trust whatever is written in the recipe. We test our baking to make sure that we remove it at the right time. If you take something out too early, It will fall. I don't know if you've ever done this with a cake. You pull it out thinking it's finished, and 10 minutes later you take a look at it, and there's a big cavern in the middle of it because you've taken it out too early, and it is useless as a result. David was responsible for writing a lot of psalms. He wrote Psalm 26 as one of them, and it may have been written while he was on the run from Saul. And in it, David says this, Psalm 26, verse 2, put me on trial, Lord, cross-examine me, test my motives and my heart. David recognized that there was value in testing, and he invited God to test him. In the book, The Making of a Leader, Frank DiMazio outlines 14 tests that God may take us through to determine preparation for his calling. So I hope you brought snacks and have no plans this afternoon. This is going to be a long message. I'm just kidding. I want to look at just five of these tests that I think are particularly important valid, particularly useful for us today. And there is a few of them that are very clearly in this passage, tests that God is very clearly uh, using in this passage. So we're just going to look at five of them. And the first two of these are related to being hidden. So my message today is expect to be hidden and tested. And these first two tests relate to being hidden. The first is the test of warfare. The reason David was hiding in this story is because Saul was trying to kill him. So his calling was being threatened by physical warfare. But for most of us, we're a lot more likely to experience spiritual warfare when it comes to our callings. And that spiritual opposition can come in a lot of different forms. And one form that spiritual opposition often takes is opposition from others. Insecure people are threatened by ambition. So when we have... uh, a plan, a mission from God, a calling from him, people who are insecure can feel threatened by that hope in us. It's like uh, they have this idea that when your stock goes up, their stock goes down. So they don't want your stock to go up. Also, people who lack vision themselves will try to throw a wet blanket on your vision by telling you all of the reasons that it's impossible for your calling to actually come to pass. They'll attack you with their discouragement. Now, spiritual warfare challenges us to grow in our spiritual strength. So when we focus our efforts on battling the people that these spiritual attacks are coming through, then we get tangled up in conflict and make no progress towards our callings. But when we remember that the battlefield is the hidden spiritual realm and we focus our efforts on waging warfare in prayer, then we will grow in our spiritual strength and speed up the fulfilling of our calling. Then we've got the test of usage. And this is a different kind of hiddenness. Oh, God bless you. Yeah, this is a different kind of hiddenness. You might feel (coughs) hidden or unseen. By others who don't recognize the gifting, the anointing, the calling that God has placed in you. You may feel overlooked for opportunities that come up that are in line with your calling, but are given to someone else who the gifting is maybe seen in. So you can feel overlooked and put up on a shelf. But God will sometimes use this sense of hiddenness to test where your joy, where your fulfillment is coming from. Is your fulfillment coming from the encouragement, the accolades that you might receive for performing in your calling? Or is your sense of joy, your sense of fulfillment, coming from the unshakable place of God's approval of you? When we pass the test of usage, we can walk into our calling with joy, with a sense of fulfillment, and not being plagued by that desperate need of the approval of others. And third, the test of discouragement. So beyond the constant fear of death, which I think is quite enough, uh, David also must have had the challenge of seeing no forward momentum when it came to his calling. So he's spending all of his time just trying to stay alive, and there's there's no uh, evidence, there's nothing to suggest in his current experience that What has been promised to him is going to come to pass. That's certainly something that I can relate to when it comes to my own calling. I remember back in, I think it was 2005, so it's a few years ago now, I was working with the same organization I work with now, Youth with a Mission, but in a different capacity. So I was on staff with our discipleship training schools. And one of my students came up to me one day and told me that he had a prophetic word for me. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. (laughs) So he said, God has called you to teach. And I thought to myself, oh, bless him, he tried. (laughs) He's just not very good at hearing God's voice yet, but he'll get there. I totally discounted that this could possibly be God speaking. It was absurd to me because I had a debilitating fear of public speaking, which might be hard to believe now, but I couldn't even get up and give an announcement without going into a full-blown panic attack. But in the months and years that followed that prophetic word... God continued to lay things on my heart that I felt I needed to share with others. And I started to get the impression that maybe that word was actually from God and not just from the mind of this young student. I felt like, okay, maybe God really is calling me to teach. So I accepted a couple of opportunities to just test the waters and see if it was really going to work out. The first time I taught, it went so badly that... I had to get the class doing a processing activity so I could leave the room and have a cry and get myself back together enough that I could go back in and finish the class. And the second time I taught... It didn't go any better. It was a really difficult group of students, and they were really disrespectful to me as a speaker, and there was more crying, and eventually it resulted in me swearing that I would never teach again. And I didn't for a while. And then I attended the funeral of a close friend. She was... 27 years old, and she died very suddenly of a a really aggressive form of cancer. And she was someone that I had served in missions with. And as I listened to people share about her at her service, it confirmed to me what I knew about her. That she was someone who was so faithful to the call that God had given her. That she was absolutely committed to the pursuit of God and being obedient to him. So as I sat sobbing in the car on the way home from the service, I knew that I had to stop letting fear and discouragement get in the way of Me also pursuing God with that same commitment, being obedient to that same degree. And so I gave God my yes and started teaching again. I believe that God tests us with discouragement to help us learn to find our strength in him and develop perseverance. Because the things that God has anointed us for are not things that are going to magically appear without work and without struggle. And so we need to be people who will persevere, who will struggle through it if we want to see the call of God come to pass in our lives. Fourthly, we have the test of character. We can't attempt to accomplish God's purposes in a way that's acting in opposition to his character. In the cave, David's men saw an opportunity for him to take for himself the kingship, and they encouraged David to do so. Since David wasn't Saul's natural heir. When Saul died, that wasn't going to be passed on to him. And so, for them, in their worldview, they thought the only way for this promise, the only way for this calling of God on David's life, is going to be for him to kill Saul. It was A or B to them, and A wasn't going to happen, so it had to be B. But all David did was cut off the corner of Saul's robe, and that act alone pricked his conscience. He saw this as an act of attacking the Lord's anointed. David understood that the kingly robes were symbolic for the office of the king. And so even though he had not literally cut off Saul from being king, What he had done was an act of symbolically cutting off Saul's kingship. And David was not comfortable with that. He wasn't comfortable with achieving God's plans in a way that defied God's character. So he immediately repented and aligned himself with God. He said, I shouldn't have done this. God said, this is not something that is for me. And after Saul finished in the cave and left the cave, David followed him out. David. Sorry, a bit too casual there. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> David followed him out, and he called to Saul and said this. It's in First Samuel 24:11 and 12. "Look, my father, what I have in my hand." It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I did not kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. The image for Saul of David standing there holding this corner of his robe had to have transported him back to a previous experience, something that David had not been there for. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul had been commanded by God to execute God's judgment on the Amalekite people to destroy them and spare no one. And Saul had only partially done what the Lord had commanded him to do. And he was confronted about this by the prophet Samuel. Samuel said, you haven't done everything the Lord called you to do. And Saul began to try to justify his actions, saying that he was only listening to the urging of the people who told him to save these animals and to spare the king. But it really revealed that Saul's heart was not in alignment with the character of God. He was not prepared to be obedient to the Lord. And because of that, Samuel proclaimed over him that God had rejected him as king. And that's in 1 Samuel 15, 24 to 28. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sins and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. And Samuel turned to go, and Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, someone who is better than you. So now we've got Saul outside this cave, staring at David, holding the same thing, holding a corner of a garment, the hem of his robe. And it must have taken Saul back to that agonizing moment where the Lord had told him, you have lost the kingdom. And from his response to David, we know that in that moment, Saul recognized that David was the one Samuel had spoken of, the one who was better than him, who would take the kingdom, who would replace him on the throne. I think the parallel between these stories of Saul and David is really clear. David refused to listen to the men who tried to persuade him to behave in a way that was in conflict with the character of God. But because he aligned himself with God, God gave him the kingdom. Whereas Saul (laughs) listened to the men And it revealed that his character was not in alignment with the character of God. And because of his disobedience, God took the kingdom from him. We can't accomplish God's plans in a way that is outside of his character. And then lastly, we have the test of time or the test of patience. From the time that David was anointed king, first anointed king, to the time when he began reigning over all Israel, he had to wait 20 chapters. That's a long time. Now, in years, we don't know exactly how long it was, but he began to reign over all Israel when he was 30 years old, and we know that he was a young man or boy when he was first anointed. So we're talking years of waiting, not weeks or months of waiting. It was a very long time from when he was called and anointed to the time that he stepped into fully the calling that God had given him. But when it did happen, it happened of God's doing. David didn't have to compromise in order to receive what God had promised to him. The test of time reveals our confidence in God. It shows whether we are prepared to remain in faith, even when the situations before us don't Things don't happen as quickly as we want them to. It doesn't look like we are progressing towards our goal. So the test of time is about doing things in faith. God's way is the way of faith. So why does God test us? Why does he poke us with his toothpick? What's the purpose Is he looking for us to fail? That's what I thought of tests when I was in school. I thought tests were just there so that they could measure that I was, in fact, failing. But that's absolutely not God's heart. God wants us to succeed, He's cheering for us to succeed. And so He tests us out of His love. When I use my toothpick to test a cake, and I determined that that cake is not fully cooked, I don't throw the cake away. I leave it in the oven longer. When I didn't pass the test of discouragement in my life, God didn't take my calling to teach away from me. He left me in the oven longer. And eventually, I was ready to step into the calling that he was leading me towards, that he had anointed me for. We don't need to be afraid of testing. The purpose of testing is not to disqualify us. And we also need to be sure not to disqualify ourselves out of disappointment when we fail. Because that failure is a part of life. We're not already perfect. Do you know that? So we are going to fail sometimes. And we need to not count ourselves out of our calling because of our failure. We need to allow God to keep us in the oven a little longer. We can expect to be hidden. We can expect to be tested. Pastor Andrew shared a quote last week that I thought was really great, so I wrote it down. It says, you don't rise to the level of your expectation. You fall to the level of your preparation. So how are we going to prepare ourselves? Knowing that hiddenness is going to come, knowing that testing is going to come how do we prepare ourselves for it you may already even feel like you're in it maybe you're not maybe you're not in a time where you recognize one of these things that we've just talked about is your current reality but you can expect that at some point it will be so how do we prepare ourselves now for that eventuality What can be done now to develop spiritual strength? If you aren't fighting your own spiritual battle right now, I want to suggest that you could get along someone else, alongside someone else who is. They would probably really appreciate to have someone standing next to them in their battle. If you don't have a battle of your own to fight, start battling in prayer for someone else. You can commit some time every day A set amount of time every day to be fighting in prayer on someone else's behalf. And that's going to grow your spiritual muscles so that when you need them for your own fight, they already exist. It's preparing yourself for the test that will come. How can you train yourself to find your fulfillment in God? Well, a good place would be to start with spending time with God, allowing Him to speak over you, speak identity over you, understanding the approval and love of God. Pursue a deeper relationship with Him, and then you're going to be less tempted to attach your value and your happiness to the approval of others. The Rhythms of Renewal Guide that we just launched a couple weeks ago is a really great way, if you don't know how to start in investing in deepening your relationship with God, to do so. It includes Bible reading. It includes prayer. It includes activating things in your life and how you love and care for those around you. It's a wonderful way to start training yourself up to find your fulfillment and joy in God these aren't the only ways, but some suggestions for us because sometimes we stare into a problem and have a hard time figuring out a solution. What about starting to encourage people? We overcome discouragement and persevere by encouraging ourselves in the word of God and encouraging ourselves with truth. So you can practice the same skills that you will need to persevere by encouraging others, by being that encouragement for them. Practice encouraging one another. Focus on making your character God's character. And that requires making the choice to be teachable allow God and allow trusted people in your life to show you where your blind spots are, to show you where your character isn't yet in alignment with the character of God so that you know where to start and what needs to be developed in you. And you can work on building your faith by writing down and meditating on the ways that God has shown you faithfulness in the past. This will train your mind to go down the pathway of faith so that when situations look hopeless, your brain already knows where it needs to go down the pathway of faith. So start to look at how God has already been faithful to you. Meditate on those things and remind yourself of them now so that they will be there when you need them later. We're going to do something in a moment that we don't always do. And that's that we're going to pray for one another. But I want you first just to take a moment to think about what it is that you can set for yourself as a goal to be developing in these areas so that you will pass the tests that come to you in life. So I've made some suggestions. Maybe God wants to speak something else to you. Just take a moment to consider what goal you're going to set for yourself Towards successfully meeting the tests that are coming. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.